Crossroads, good to be with you today. We are wrapping up our series about being known for what you are for. And uh, it's been talking about what do we want to be known for as a church? What do you want to be known for as an individual or as a family? And, you know, we want our community to know that we are for them, that God is for them. Uh, and for some people, that is such new information because they have just sort of written off a church or they've stepped away from God because they don't believe that God or the church is for them. And we want a course correct in a whole different direction. And it's not just about the church. It's about you too. And we've been asking this question over and over, these two questions for you. What is it that you want to be known for? And then what are you known for? And when there's a gap in between, how do you address that gap? What do you do with that gap? And I want to answer part of that question today. What do you do with a gap between what you want to be known for and what you are known for? I took some time uh, this past weekend. I wanted to do like sort of like a fun walk down memory lane. And I wanted to think through, you know, what are some things that, you know, I have been all about for like decades. And what are some things that I used to be for uh, that I was all about, that I was known for that isn't so true anymore? There was a time, you know, where I was like a tech nerd and always into the latest gadgets and that like disappeared like more than a decade ago. But what are some other things that have lasted, that have like stood the test of time? And here is one of the things that came to my mind. Now, some of you know that Denise and I uh, blind date in... 10th grade. We were 16. And so, now first of all, I know what some of you are thinking. That guy hasn't aged a day in 35 years, right? Um, but beyond that, a uh, shout out to my brother trying to photobomb me before photobombing was a thing. Uh, but I've realized that I have always been for Denise. Uh, ever since we started dating for 35 years, I have been for Denise. And sometimes you can be so for something uh, that you don't think logically, you don't think clearly. Uh, you're a 16-year-old uh, full of hormones that like get magnified a hundred times, right? And I so remember back in 10th grade, uh, there was this guy named Bill. And uh, he was making what to me were incredibly uh, not good comments to Denise, the girl that I was dating, and it was disturbing her, and it was upsetting her, and it was upsetting me. So I pulled together a plan, a 16-year-old's plan. And my plan was this, was to go uh, right at the front of the school day, outside of our lockers, and I was going to confront Bill. And not verbally, I was going to confront him physically. And, and this is just a horrible plan in so many ways. Uh, some of those ways were simply like this. 16-year-old Doug didn't know how to take a punch. 16-year-old Doug didn't know how to throw a punch. And Bill, I mean, he had mass on me, muscle mass and just mass on me. And he had street cred. He knew how to handle things. So this horribly ill-conceived, illogical plan was going to do nothing but end badly for me. And fortunately for me, right as things were starting to really get started, uh, one of uh, my teachers came out and interrupted and brought everything to an end. But I've always been for Denise. When she wanted to go back to college to uh, get her teaching certificate, I was for Denise. Uh, through the good times and the bad, through the health crisis, through whatever else, I've always been for Denise. And here's my hope. 
My hope is that if you ask Denise, you know, is Doug for you? She could give you a resounding yes. And if you ask my daughters, or, or, or is, is your dad for your mom? They would give you a yes. And if you ask them for closest friends, the answer would be yes. That's something I've always been for. But I want to make it very personal to you. Who is for you? Who believes the best in you? Who, who wants the best for you? Who is for you? Who's always in your corner? Who always has your back? Through the thick and through the thin, through the good and the bad. Who is it that believes abundantly in you? Who is it that you can say without a shadow of a doubt that they are for you? The Apostle Paul asked a very similar question in Romans 8. In Romans 8, uh, here is the question. Apostle Paul says, if, if God is for us, if God is for us, do you hear the question? It's an if, if God is for us. We would love it if like the original Greek word, the best way to translate it would have been Paul would have said, since God is for us. Because many of us are like, yeah, since God is for us. But don't miss the question in this. If God is for us. Paul could have said, since God is for us, then who can be against us? That would be a different question. But if God is for us, and there's a tension there, and perhaps that tension has been brought to light to you in the past five weeks. Because there's been people like me telling you that God is for you, and Jesus is for you, and the church is for you. But there's something inside of you that's just really wrestling with that. And it's so hard for you to believe that God is for you. And that creates a gap, doesn't it? Creates a gap in the way that you want to live and what you want to be known for. And the way that you are living and what you are known for. Because when you can't believe or you don't fully understand that God is for you. Makes it incredibly hard to be for others and for the community and for the world around you. So how do you get there? How do you get to a place that when somebody like Paul says, if God is for you, you really have to stop and pause and ask that question. How do you get to a place where it can be so hard to fully grasp and believe and live out of that belief that God is for you? How do you get there? Here's how it most often happens. Something has happened in your life that you didn't want to happen or there's something that you've been asking God for and it went a very different way and and you can't reconcile what has happened to you or to some loved ones or to some friends in your life and you can't reconcile what's happened to them and that God is for you or a better way to say it for some of you is there is something that didn't happen, didn't happen to you that you wanted to happen or didn't happen with your group of friends or loved one that you wanted to happen and you're having a hard time reconciling that God is for you in the midst of that gap. Here's some things that you know maybe you've experienced or you have some friends that have experienced these kind of things. A failed marriage or divorce a health crisis or that cancer diagnosis, that loss of a job or that career that, you know, was sort of finished before it even got started, that deep longing and desire to 
have a child that's gone unfulfilled. That hope to one day be married that you're still waiting to be brought to fulfillment. That shattered dream, that deep depression, that betrayal. That loss of a relationship or broken relationships or relationships that aren't where you would love them to be. That death of a close friend or a loved one or a family member. That car accident. That financial crisis. That disillusioning church experience. The time in your life where God just seems distant or silent and your spiritual life just feels dry and it creates this gap and it makes it hard to believe that God is for you and to live out of that belief that God is for you and things don't go the way you wanted them to go or the way that you thought they should go. And it's things like this that can hold us back from having intimacy with God And faith can be damaged because God didn't break through in the way that we hoped or asked or wanted. And experiences like this can lead to what we often refer to as that dark night of the soul. That valley of despair. That, that wall that just sort of goes up between us and God. Peace Zero says, incredible statistic. Can't wrap my brain around this. of Jesus followers can't break through that wall. 85% of Jesus followers end up getting stuck in that valley of despair and it harms their relationship with their heavenly father and they never experience life in the fullest like Jesus designed or intended them to live and to experience. See, I so believe in you and I so believe that God is for you and I so believe that I want the best for you and that God wants the best for you. And I want you to break through that wall and I don't want you to get stuck in that valley of despair. I don't want you to get stuck long-term in that dark night of the soul. I want us to figure out how it is that we can deal with that gap and how we can break through that wall. I'm going to start by oversimplifying it. In your spiritual walk with God, in your spiritual life, there's a your part and there's a God part. Your part and God's part. Here's, here's the good news. Your part, fully under your control. Here's the bad part for some of us control freaks, right? God's part is not at all under our control. So what do you do with that gap? How do you break through that wall? I think Jesus gives us some really good instructions in Matthew chapter 7. He tells us this. He says, ask, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And for some of us, there's an automatic tension here, isn't there? I mean, some of you, when you open up your Bible, if you have a translation, uh, it says effective prayer and you feel like, Maybe my prayer is not that effective, or maybe somebody's really just dumped on you and said the reason these things aren't happening the way you want them to is because you lack faith. And man, can that just cause so much damage and put a wall up between us and God and 
cause that gap to grow bigger and stronger. And I have saw people abundantly full of faith, great, mature disciples of Jesus who still aren't getting everything they asked for, who aren't finding everything they're seeking, who aren't having all the doors open that they want to be opened. Perhaps you, you, you've asked and not received, or you've been seeking, you haven't found, or you've knocked, and that door hasn't been opened. It's a very hard place to be, and it can put a strain on your relationship with God, and it can make you, man, not even want to come to church or hang out with other Jesus followers. It can make it so much harder to believe that God is for you and to live out of that belief that God is for you. And here's what will happen. Maybe you're there. For so many Jesus followers, they simply stop. They stop asking. They stop seeking. And they stop knocking. So what do you do with this verse? How do you live out this tension? You simply stop asking, seeking, and knocking. Probably all of you have experienced these two things. Things you've asked for and received. And things you've asked for and not received. You've probably all been there and maybe you have a list of one or the other. Or maybe you keep a list of both. I, I try to keep an active gratitude list. And things that I've asked for, that I've been seeking, or that I've been knocking, and the door's been open. And we all have those kind of lists. Those lists are great to go back on and reflect on the goodness of God. And we love it when all of those pieces come through. I was thinking about just one segment of my life recently, and that would be my education. I remember whenever uh, my one mentor approached me and he said, you know, Doug, I think it's time for you to go back to work on your doctorate. And he gave me this plan. This is where a lot of my peers, a lot of what they were doing. But he said, before you apply, before you do this, I want you to do this. I want you to apply for this program out in Kentucky and you're not going to get it, but I want you to go through the process anyways. Why not try? And I remember reading and finding about this, and man, was I asking and seeking and knocking, and I was applying, I was sending everything in, and they wanted me to write a paper, and I wrote a paper, and they wanted me to fly up there and interview, and I flew up there and interviewed, and I knew it was like there were 700 and some, you know, pastoral people applying for 21 open positions. And it's great that God opened that door, and it was a great experience in my life. More recently, I've been telling Denise, there's this piece I really want to go to, a mentor at a distance, somebody that I've never met that I've wanted to spend time with, read their book, listened to a lot of their things, and I really want to go and be a part of this conference they have. But there's a couple of different things. One, you have to be at least 50. Um, two, it's a limited number of spaces. And three, you have to be invited. But right now, it looks like I'm going there in 22, and I'm so excited for the things I've been asking, seeking, and knocking for. And we all have those kind of good stories, those gratitude lists. But there's a list that I don't keep. It's a list I hope you don't keep on paper or in your mind. There's a list of things that you've been asking for, that you've been seeking, and you've been knocking and you're not getting the answers you want or the doors aren't being opened that you want. Come on, all of 2020 and all that it was, 
Did you get everything you were asking and seeking and knocking for? I certainly didn't. I remember earlier on in the pandemic, Easter 2020, part of that 12 weeks where, you know, we were closed down to in-person gatherings. And I had a big, bold ask of God. I was praying, God, I, I understand that we can't meet on Easter Sunday, but wouldn't it be so cool if like, like just for like a day, like COVID came to an end. Easter Sunday, 2020, no deaths, you know, nobody was tested positive. Wouldn't it be really cool if COVID just came to an end on Easter Sunday? Wouldn't that be profound? People would know that it wasn't coincidental. I was praying boldly. I was asking boldly. It didn't happen. Joined in with many of you in praying for loved ones throughout this pandemic. And there's been a lot of great answered prayer, but there's others that are only being answered on the other side of eternity. Remember earlier in 2020, praying for unity for our church and for our nation, just seeing all the things that were coming our way. In a world that seems to tear itself apart, and I don't really feel like that big ask, that bold ask was answer just the way that I wanted it to. So what should I do? I mean, my, my list can go on and on and on. Should I just stop asking? Should I just stop seeking? Should I just stop knocking? What do you do when there's a gap between the world that you want to be and the world that is? Between the way that you want to your life to be known for in the way of what you are known for. What do you do with that gap? Here's where I've landed. I don't think this asking and seeking and knocking is just about faith. I think it's actually even more about obedience. I believe when Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, to knock, it is as much or more about obedience than it is faith. See, I believe that believing that God is for you and living out of that belief is just as much an act of obedience as it is an act of faith. Jesus in his teaching here, it's not a request. It's not optional, right? Hey, when you feel like it, ask. Hey, when you need it, seek. Hey, just whenever life's all peachy and everything's perfect, then knock. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's making it a commandment. It's clear instruction for followers of Jesus. Ask, seek, and knock. Don't give up. In your small group, if you're watching the video with Jeff Henderson, he uses terminology like this. He says, there's our responsibility, and then there is God's responsibility. If you've been with me for much time, you know my terminology usually goes like this. There's our part, and there's God's part. And we do our part to make room for God to do his part. And as we read through Scripture again and again, we see that this is how God operates. If Noah didn't build the ark, if David didn't step onto the battlefield, if Esther didn't make a request of the king, if Peter didn't get out of the boat, and again and again and again, there is an our part. 
that makes room for God to do his part. So here's how the equation looks. There's an our part, our, our responsibility. And this is what it is for you and I, for every Jesus follower. Our responsibility is to ask and to seek and to knock and to persevere in patience and to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. And here's the other side of the equation. God's responsibility to give, to find, and to open. There's an our part, and there's a God's part. It's a diplomatic way of saying you do you and let God do God. The friend who's interviewing, he's part of that huge part of our nation that's looking to transition in their position, right? Right now, one-third of Americans are actively looking for a new job we're interviewing. Another third is thinking about that, so two-thirds of all Americans are considering changing positions right now. He's been in the process for a while, and what started out with probably around 50 to 7 people applying for this position has been narrowed down to he's one of two. That gives him 50-50 odds. And we're just talking the other night, spent like, you know, a bunch of hours on my deck just processing through this. And he was really thinking, you know, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. And he just has to wait. And I'm like, you have to wait patiently because you've done everything. You've done everything that is your part. Now you just have to wait and let God do his part. Let God make it clear. And if you start to step over that boundary... And try to make God's part happen, man, it gets messy so quickly. Have you ever saw somebody step over and try to do God's part, what's outside of their control? Have you ever saw somebody step over to God's part and they've tried to make their spouse love them or their kids want to spend time with them? It gets messy. It gets ugly so incredibly quickly. So when there's a gap between what you want to be known for and the life you want to be living and what you are known for and the life you're living. And when there's a gap, here's what you do. You don't stop asking and seeking and knocking. You persevere patiently. You embarrass the mystery. You wait on God. You do what you can do. And you don't stop asking God to do what only he can do. Asking, seeking, and knocking are our side, our part, our responsibility, our side of the equation. We treat God like a genie in a bottle when we expect him to do just what we want, when we want, how we want. Come on, you would never say this out loud. But, but here's how some people pray. Hey, God! I know for the, the past 25 years, man, I have been like all about my kids. I've been running them everywhere. I've been doing everything with them. And I just forgot, basically. I, I forgot to honor, respect, love, date my spouse. And now 25 years later, I'm living with what feels like a stranger. And I don't really think they want to live with me much longer. God, would you just like fix it tomorrow? Would you just make them love me again? Hey, God, God, you know me, didn't really put forth my best effort in high school. 
Didn't really study that much. Didn't do much with my homework. But now I, I feel you're calling to go back and further my education. And here's my top three tier schools. Could you just magically make me get into one of them? Hey, God. 20 years. It's been busy. Wanted to advance in my career. I had my hobbies. I had my interests. I had my friends. And I know I didn't really honor and develop and cultivate relationship with my kids the way you would have wanted me to. Now they don't want to spend any time with me. Could you just sort of make them want to spend time with me again? When we pray like that, we're, short, we're treating God like a genie in the bottle. That's not what asking and seeking and knocking is all about. And you can take those exact same things and you change them just a little bit. And it's God honoring, asking, seeking, and knocking. God, I confess to you. I've not honored and cherished my spouse the way that you've told me to. I have so messed up my marriage. And without your help, without your strength, I I know there's like no hope of rekindling this love, this relationship. So would you show me what I'm to do? Tell me what I'm to say? Just reveal to me my part and just allow me to do that hard work of rebuilding a relationship so that you can break through and do what only you can do. Hey, God, I've messed up my education. I squandered the opportunities that I've had. But I'm ready to do the hard work. I'm ready to dig in. Can you show me where to start? Can you help me get from here where I'm at, what I am known for, and to where I want to be, to what I want to be known for? Can't do it on my own strength. I need your strength, God. God, you're my only hope. Show me the next step. Break through and do what only you can do in my life and in the gaps in my life. And Jesus goes on to say, and he continues his teaching in verse 8, and he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. But here's the hard reality, right? God's answer in God's time. What we receive isn't always what we were asking for. It's God's answer. What we find isn't always what we were searching for. God has better things in store for us. Maybe the door we wanted open wasn't really a healthy next step or the right thing, and it didn't get open, and God opened another door. It's God answers in God's time. And we fill in that gap with asking and seeking and knocking. You heard stories like this. My kid went to college and then they just sort of walked away from all things faith related. But I haven't given up asking and seeking and knocking. I've persevered and I've been praying for them. And now, 20 years later, they're showing interest. God, I was so disillusioned in the church and I just walked away from you and from your bride. But now God has brought me back to him and to his bride, and I'm looking to a church where I can grow and be in a loving community. God's answer in God's time, we patiently persevere and continue to ask and to seek and uh, 
knock. Jesus wraps up this teaching. We're going to go to verse 9. He says these words. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? To those who ask him. So here's how I want to wrap up the series. Here's one last question for you to think through in the process. What are you asking for? What are you asking for? What are you consistently going before your heavenly father and you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking? What is your big, bold ask? Knowing that your heavenly father will give good gifts to his children. What's your ask? For some of us, uh, if you've spent time with me recently, you know the question I've been asking again and again over the past couple months. I've been saying, tell me, when you pray for our church, what are you praying? When you pray for our church, what are you praying? And when I hear crickets, I know we're in trouble. What are you asking for when you pray for our church? What are you asking for when you pray for your life and the life of those around you? If you stopped asking, if you stopped seeking, if you stopped knocking, if you just have given up, if you've got stuck in that valley of despair, but you take these steps to just be obedient before Jesus and your heavenly Father, and when you just start asking and seeking and knocking again, I so believe in you and I believe that God is for you and the church is for you. That I'm not going to stop asking and seeking and knocking boldly. But I can't do it alone. What are you asking? What are you seeking? What are you knocking? What is the gap that you want to address in your life between what you want to be known for and what you are known for. What we want our church to be known for, and what we are known for. The gap is filled by asking and seeking and knocking. Let's finish where we started. Let's go back to Romans 8. Paul says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor in God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything, can anything ever separate us from the love of God?
unlike 16-year-old Doug's plan. God's plan might have been illogical by humans' standards, but it was a brilliant, brilliantly conceived plan, and all good would come from it. Salvation, restoration between the creator and his creation, between our heavenly father and us. The gap between God and his perfection and our sin was filled by the blood of Jesus Christ. The one who is so for you. Who believes so abundantly in you. Gave his life for you. As we prepare for communion, it's a reminder for all of us who are followers of Jesus, of the great sacrifice, the great gift given to us through our Heavenly Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ. We can't earn our way to God. It was done for us. It's a gift that we accept. And if you're sitting here today and, man, you have been struggling. You've been struggling with this whole that God is for me, the church is for me, peace. May today be a changing peace. If today's a day where you make a decision to follow Jesus, would you just let us know on your connection card that you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, that you believe that he is for you today? And for all of us Jesus followers, look at the words in Apostle Paul, he says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ given for you. Let us partake together. Then he goes on and he wraps up with these words. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let us partake together. Father, we thank you that you are so for us, that you so wanted a relationship with us, that you were willing to send your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ultimate price, to be the ultimate sacrifice, to make right that which was broken, to fill that gap that was filled with sin, to cleanse it all through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. So today we remember and we give thanks We acknowledge your great love for us. We offer our praise and our worship all that we are to you. We thank you that Jesus paid that price. And because of that, we can live life in its fullest in the here and now. 
And because he walked out of that empty tomb three days later and death was defeated, we can experience life in its fullness on the other side of eternity as well. Walk with us. May we rely on your strength, Holy Spirit. May you do a great work in us and around us and through us. May we be a part of our community and the world knowing that you are for them, that the church is for them. May we continue to have opportunities to point people to Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.